Hey everybody and thank you for tuning in again for another episode of the Sacred Resistance Podcast. This is episode number 11. Today we have on Ted Coons, who is the head of Vaccine Choice Canada. Sits on the board. Sits on the board of Vaccine Choice Canada and uh, it's a really good episode. We uh, we got into some really, you know, we laughed, we cried, we, uh, yeah. it was a good one. Yeah, Ted is... Um, a father of a child who was vaccine injured and it seems to be this is his purpose in life now to spread the word spread awareness educate um, not only was his son vaccine injured he eventually passed away from his injuries but uh, Ted is one of the most educated well-researched um, men out there he's an author a speaker an activist he's out there all the time fighting for our freedoms. He's retired now and all he does is try to spread the word. Yeah. He's such a lovely like human being. Just a lovely man. And he's out there on the front lines, uh, you know, fighting for all of us. And he also is a, um, what he did for his work was a um, psychologist. Psychologist, yeah. And he helped work, he worked with a battered woman, women who were, um, in abusive relationships and one interesting thing about this was he did that for years and he helped women escape relationships that were um, they were in abusive relationships and the thing with that is they were always um, validated they're always listened to and now the fight that he's in now with um, bringing awareness to vaccine injuries he is it's the opposite people um, ridicule they don't believe, they distrust, when in actuality the, these injuries do happen and they happen more often than um, we're led to believe. And uh, it's just sad that these voices aren't listened to. Yeah. Yeah, basically his whole life he's been fighting for people that uh, need to be fought for. He's, uh, he's doing the work for people that can't do it for themselves. Yeah. Lovely man. Amazing man. So I'm going to put links to his books in the show notes. He has written a few books. I've read one of them and it's excellent. I highly recommend it to every parent who is um, expecting a child. I recommend both mom and dad read it. It's just very well written. Um, all the all the research is there to back it up. And uh, he, he somehow has found peace in this fight that he is, he is doing. And he's just... Yeah, he's just amazing. So please enjoy the episode. We sure enjoyed talking with him. Yeah. Yeah. Love you, Ted. Love you, Resistance. Uh, thanks for being here, guys. We couldn't do this without you. We love you. Love y'all. I just want to start off saying thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy, busy life to be here. Yeah. Ted, you, I told you in my email that when we first started our podcast, I made a list of people I wanted to have on the list and you were one of the people on our list. And I, I'm like, how do I, how do I reach out to this guy? How do I get him? And then we ran into you and it was, um, just meant to be, I guess, but thank you so much. You know, I'm delighted and thank you for this opportunity. You know what? There's nothing more important than this. So, uh, totally. yeah, yeah. It, 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 there's not nothing that I would be busy with other than doing this. So oh, right on, well, yeah. that just goes to say like, you're 
an author, you're an activist, you're a public speaker, like the list can go on and on and on. But um, I, I've been reading your book again this week just to refresh my memory because I read it a long time ago. And man, I think every parent should get that as a baby gift mm-hmm. or even before they conceive. Yeah, It's an important conversation to have. You know, it's to me, it's conversations that couples need to have it's part of figuring out whether they're compatible because to me, yeah. there's no middle ground on this issue. No. And, and, and I, I, unfortunately I see far too many families that are torn apart because they get to a place when they have to make this decision and they realize there are in different places with it. And it's for, for either of them, it's painful to, you know, that their partner doesn't support them in that decision. And, and uh, yeah, I've known several couples like that. And usually what happens is the one who's questioning just kind of rolls over and goes, okay, well, I guess we'll do it then. Cause you're so, you know, you're so adamant about it. And then they just take one for the team, so to say, but it's, you know, it, it's not a informed decision. It's not genuine consent. There's a level of coercion to it because they realize that it may end their relationship. And so, and they're not strong enough in the knowledge. And, no. and so you're right, is that uh, far too many of them acquiesce. And, and then um, if and when an injury happens, then it, it's too late, right? Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. And coercion is an important word because that's what's going on right now completely across the board. Oh. Well, I say that there's no such thing as informed consent with this COVID in, uh, injection because we don't have enough information. So how can you possibly give informed consent? The only, what you could say is, I have no idea what's gonna happen and I'm okay with that. And yeah, I don't know who, exactly. who I, I can't imagine any sane person would, would uh, accept that condition. Um, but unfortunately, as I say, people are not informed. They're, they're being deceived on a massive scale. Yeah. Uh, and those that are, have some uh, uh, a wakefulness that, that this may be a problem, um, there's so much coercion um, th- that's being applied um, and it's very devious how it's being done. You know, it's when I talk to people who have uh, accepted the, the injection and I say, how did you make that decision? And, and it's things like, well, you know, I want to travel one day. Yeah, or, that's you know, huge. Like it, and I say, well, you know, those restrictions don't, don't exist at this point in time. And so you're bang in advance. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I say to people, because that is 95% of, percent of the uh, of the reaction that I get. And the excuse is, well, I want to travel. Well, when are you planning on traveling? Six, seven months from now? Wait five months to get it then. Just wait yeah. and see, you know, because like we know a lot of side effects and a lot of deaths and all the stuff that's happening that aren't, isn't being reported in, in the mainstream media. But I mean, they can't, they can only cover it up for so long. Right. I feel like that's why they're rushing so fast and being so sloppy with this is because it's going to shit is going to hit the fan part of my language very soon. I absolutely agree with you I, I see that they're in a hurry with this and there's a reason why they're in a hurry. And I, I hold the position you do is I think the consequences are going to become so obvious yeah. particularly next, uh, you know, respiratory season or, you know, uh, low vitamin D season yeah, uh, low when vitamin they're exposed D to, to, to uh, the wild uh, virus. Uh, and we know from pathogenic priming, that's when most of the harm happens. And so mm-hmm. I suspect uh, we're going to see uh, significant harm, injury, death uh, in the late fall, early winter. Uh, yeah. 
And so they're in a hurry to get as many people injected before then as is possible. Well, totally, because yeah. that's going to happen and on a level that they can't cover up like they're covering up right now. Like they're just not reporting it on the news, but. Well, if you, we're, I'm following theirs and they're so far to date, this COVID vaccine has killed more people than any vaccine numbers put together. Right. And if you do follow bears, like what I've heard is only 1% of actual vaccine injuries are reported, right? So you can multiply that number that's by a hundred. Yeah. That's, that's for the right. average, the average vaccine for sure. I know that COVID they're supposed to be reporting every adverse reaction, but I know that's not happening. Yeah. Well, it's all voluntary, right? Yeah. yeah. So exactly. we understand with both the all of the systems that I'm aware of are voluntary reporting systems and there's no consequences for not reporting. And what that uh, study did that, that identified the 1% is they, they looked to see how many were, were voluntarily reported. And, and that was uh, the Harvard study, I believe. That's right. The Harvard Pilgrim uh, hospital study and showed that less than 1% are reported. And so that system clearly is not adequate. And, and even by their own, data, it shows we have a significant problem with, with these injections. And, you know, what I find, you know, disheartening isn't the right word. It it is, uh, to me, it's criminal. So, you know, they, they, every so-called COVID death or purported COVID death is, you know, just so important. And yet death and injury that is a consequence of the injection is somehow, well, you know what, that's okay. That's normal. You know, it's taking one for the team. Yeah. 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 We don't, we don't have, sorry. I I was going to say, we don't have, (laughs) (laughs) there's a leg. Let me hear you. I was just going to say, we don't have any reliable statistics to fall back onto anyways about like the health differences between vaccinated versus unvaccinated, because the studies haven't really ever been done like at all. There's well, a actually, we have three. We have three studies now. Yeah. Okay. So, so we had a study that was done in in uh, 2017, I believe. I've got it in my book. And yeah, then you have it in studies. the dare okay, to question. Great, great, yeah. great, great. Yeah. And then there were two studies that were done last year, mm-hmm. and the most recent okay. was the one that was done by Dr. Paul Thomas. Yeah. Uh, and Dr. James Lyons-Weiler was involved in analyzing the data, and he's great. You know, it it is so clear that. Uh, unvaccinated children are healthier than vaccinated children without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. And I don't know if you know the story with Dr. Paul Thomas is he's been harassed by the uh, Oregon medical board for years since he didn't, came out with his book, the vaccine friendly plan. Didn't he lose his license? He has been suspended from, okay. uh, from practicing. Yeah. And that happened 10 days after the results of the, uh, vaccinated versus unvaccinated study came out. And if that doesn't speak volumes, like I don't understand how people can still say like they just put their head in the sand and they're ignoring all those other facts. These doctors, I'm getting emotional because these doctors that are speaking out um, at no benefit to them, it's not like they're getting money from speaking out whatsoever. They are losing their licenses. They're getting suspended. They're getting silenced. Um, We've had quite a few uh, different chiropractors and doctors on our podcast so far. And one of them in particular, he just got deleted for a third time off of Instagram. 
And right. he's not even stating, he's stating stuff from the CDC and the WHO. He's taking their information and relaying it to people, but right. they just don't want that information out there. And it's, it's, right. it's not even, like you said earlier, it's not even heartbreaking. It's criminal. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. As you said, not only is this not in their financial best interest, it's actually the opposite. They pay a significant penalty for speaking truth and they pay yeah. a significant penalty for uh, <clears throat> allowing uh, for their patients to have informed consent. And so with both Dr. Paul Thomas and Dr. Bob Sears, who's a, who wrote the vaccine book, uh, he's out of California. Yeah. He's awesome. Uh, he's a podcast too. Yes. And so Dr. Sears, uh, when, when we were battling the New Brunswick government in 2019 around their legislation that was trying to mandate childhood vaccinations for public school attendance. Uh, the, the two professionals that we brought up uh, was Dr. James Lyons-Weiler and Dr. Bob Sears. Oh, and, okay. and so they came to, to New Brunswick to help us with that battle with, wow. with the government. That's with and Vaccine I, I, Choice Canada that you're talking about. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, I got to, I actually had Bob Sears stay with me. So I, I rented a, an, an Airbnb and I contacted Dr. Sears and said, while you're here, you want to stay with me? He said, absolutely. So we got oh, to spend wonderful. three days together. Oh, cool. And, and the opportunity to have some really, you know, get into the conversation in some depth. And, uh, and it was really interesting because his book, the vaccine book uh, that he first came out with, I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2014 or something. In that book, he was still recommending some vaccines. And so yeah. while we're having dinner one night, and I said, can I ask you about where you're at today. I said, I know in 2014, you were recommending, still recommending some vaccines. What's your position today? And he says, I'm rewriting the book. And I'm, I'm of the opinion now that they're all causing injury and harm. And parents need to know that. Yeah. Yeah. But he said, um, in the States, you get bonus for having a certain level of fully vaccinated yeah. patients uh, in your caseload. And he said, because he doesn't meet the threshold of having enough fully vaccinated patients, he has lost over a million dollars in bonus money. Wow. Wow. See, there's the coercion again. And, and in Ohio, they're doing like a million dollar, dollar lottery for people who get the vaccine. And they're all like Krispy Kreme's giving you free donuts. And, and Adam's and, beer, you get free yeah, beer. Yeah. I mean, McDonald's is promoting it on their packaging now. Yeah. And it's like, if that's the picture of health, I don't want to be that. And, and I saw in New York in Times Square they were doing joints for jabs. They're giving you a joint if you get a if you get a vaccination. So a five dollar well joint to get to go get your vaccination, but people are lining up to do it, you know. And well, unfortunately, we, it's our youth, I think, a yeah. lot of them. Because what 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 is going to entice a youth? A donut, McDonald's. Um, obviously they can't do the beer and joint ethically. They can't even do the vaccine ethically, but they can't get across, across to them. But it, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in Vancouver, in the downtown East side, they were giving, uh, street people five bucks if they would go get the vaccine. Really? That I didn't know that. So crazy. I, I wondered that cause we're, we're about 45 minutes out of Kamloops. Um, and there's quite a big homeless population down there. And yeah. Like we know the stats that the homeless people are not getting COVID. They're not getting sick, right. yeah. but I, oh, yeah. I bet I said in my head, I didn't say this to anybody yet, but I'm like, I bet they're going to go around and start like somehow giving them money or giving them something to go get yeah. the vaccine. And I'm sure we'll see a huge 
huge plunge in deaths with the with the homeless. Yeah. 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 I, I received a call uh, in December or was it January from uh, a, an owner of a pub in the downtown east side and said that public health is coming into the pub and they're if people will go get a PCR test, they'll buy them a beer. And then they were opening up a vaccine clinic literally on the street outside of the pub. And they were giving people five bucks to take the jab. Man. So we'll give you a beer. You go get a PCR test. And we've conveniently got this jab uh, booth set up right here for when you come back with your positive reading. And we'll give you another five bucks. Wow. Like, wow. That's what this so takes. This, this is where we're at today. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, what I've said, and I may have said in, in Kamloops, because I've said it a number of times now, is that this is not the great reset. This is the great reveal. And the, yeah. the level of deception, distortion, malfeasance, corruption is being exposed. And we're yeah. seeing it. And, and But the shock is it's happening where we thought we could trust people. It's happening yes. in our governments. It's happening in our medical system. It's happening in our mainstream media. And... And so for lots of people, it's too painful to see that. And yeah. so they're being confronted with a choice of saying, is it possible all of these entities and organizations are deceiving us? Or is it possible that, you know, those guys are just conspiracy theorists that are exposing this, right? Yeah. And, and the, it's too easy to just write us off as, as somehow being misguided yeah. because the lie is too big. The lie is so big. It's the indoctrination runs so deep. It's like everyone's got Stockholm syndrome and you could, some of these people even can get vaccine injured and then still defend it. Yeah. 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 yeah and I've seen that um, historically with just the childhood vaccines. Uh, yeah. You know, once, once, once you see uh, vaccine injury in children, you, you, you can start to see it. You, you start to recognize it. And then you, you try to have conversations with parents around that. And there are parents that have connected the dots and they absolutely know. Yeah. And there are others that will defend that vaccination to the nth degree because the alternative is they have to accept that they may have played a role and they did play a role in the harming of their own child. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. such that's a hard... Simple hard pill oh, yeah. to swallow um our last podcast we actually had a guy down from he's in colorado i don't know if you're familiar with uh david cromar but his son all four yeah. of the all four of his children are vaccine injured and he like you is now his mission in life and he is so well educated i actually called him i i said i'm like i was telling jamie he's like the american version of ted coons like he's so yeah. well educated he knows his data there's no there's no disproving what you guys are saying you have done yeah. your research mm -hmm. more than anybody i know and you can't you can't you have you would be able to have a great debate with somebody who is on the vaccine side versus the unvaccinated side. And I guarantee you, you guys would win because you yeah. have done your research more than anybody. You'd, you'd light them up. These doctors, just because they have these credentials and these letters before their name, people trust them more than someone who's done boatloads of research. Like, you know, way more about vaccines than any doctor I know knows about. Absolutely. Them, you know, yes, people will still take his word for it because he's got the credentials. Well, what about the research and the data? Credentials aside, let's talk about data here. And trust the parents. Yeah. I think part of this is they want to believe in the magic of, yeah. uh, you know, of, of these injections. You know, we've, we've been told a, a narrative that, you know, that, you know, I still see it on the, the BC Health website. You know, at the top line under the banner, it says 
vaccines have saved more lives than anything else in the world. And that's just yeah. not true. Not true Clean at all. Clean water has saved more lives, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Food. Yeah. 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 Oh. And so, but, you know, there's a narrative that is there and people come back with, well, what about smallpox or what about polio? And you say, can I tell you about that? Are you interested in actually understanding the history of that and right. how yeah. deceased we've been about that? And they don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah exactly. they, they immediately dismiss, dismiss it. Well, you know, if you know, if you're going to argue with me about that, then you're not even worth listening to. And I said, yes. you haven't even heard the information yet, but they don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. totally. Because as soon as you start it, saying, yeah, yeah. it's it, I, I say this, I've said it a hundred times. It's easier to trick someone it is, than it is to convince them that they've been tricked. People just don't want to believe that they've been tricked. That's the, the Mark Twain quote, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ted, can you give our listeners a little bit of a backstory on you and how you started waking up to this? Because you didn't, you didn't, you didn't know before you're, unfortunately, your son was a victim of vaccine injury. Yeah, I, I learned the hard way. I'm when I talk about those parents not doing their homework, I was one of those parents. So I can, yeah. I can own that. Um, my son, Josh was born in July of 1984. Um, my we age took him first. We took him first, first vaccine shot in, in, uh, November of 1984. His first shot then at that point in time was a DPT shot, diphtherium tetanus pertussis, which is the whooping cough. Mm -hmm. And Josh was immediately affected by the shot. I, I mean, I could tell there's something was wrong. This, this child that we had with, that was easygoing, happy, slept well, breastfed well, uh, just a beautiful, healthy baby became agitated, increasingly agitated, and wasn't feeding well, wasn't sleeping well, just discontent. And so we actually took him back to our pediatrician who gave him the injection twice and said, there's something wrong here. And it was like, you know, oh, well, you know, that happens sometime. That's normal. Nothing to worry about. Just carry on. And uh, day 21 after the injection, he had his first ground mal seizure oh my and God. we found him in his crib seizing. And I, I didn't even know what it was at the time. I didn't even know it was a seizure. He was just rigid like a board for like 25 minutes. Jeez. And we called the ambulance, um, you know, took him to the hospital. They uh, assessed that it was probably a seizure. Oh didn't know that's what it looked like and prescribed some anti-seizure medication. And they just basically said, you know, uh, go home and everything will be fine. Well, um, everything was fine for four weeks. And then four weeks later, he had another ground mal seizure. And when I saw that, I mean, it, 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 it took the wind literally out of me. I collapsed because I knew there was something seriously wrong with my son now. And again, yeah. the seizures were 20 to 25 minutes long. Oh. And you're watching they they their lips turn blue. They're not breathing. They're they're in this. Uh, it was a tonic seizure, which is just the muscles intensify. You know, in this clenched state. Right. Um, absolutely terrifying. And then eventually they moved into the the classic tonic clonic uh, seizures, the, what we call grand mal seizures, where there's this convulsing over and over again. And just to witness that uh, as a parent, it's just excruciating. And we kept going back to hospital and they kept trying different anti-seizure medications without success. Um, uh, over the, his seizure pattern for the first couple of years was 
he would seize about every month, about every four weeks, he would have a seizure. And the seizure was always 20, 25 minutes long. By about age three, the seizure started increasing frequency. And uh, he eventually, by age four, he was seizing 12 to 15 times a day. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. And each seizure was 15 to 20 minutes long. And so our, our life was literally going from seizure to seizure because he would have a seizure. He would be in post-seizure where he's, he's limp like a rag doll. And then eventually he would get some strength and, and then you would, you know, care for him or feed him or, you know, those kinds of things. And then within an hour, he would seize again. And it was just ongoing. When Josh was five um, and we had tried every medication and even, uh, and even experimental drugs, because that's how desperate you are. Yeah. Um, the, the chief neurologist came to me and he said, Ted, can I have a conversation with you? And I said, sure. And he said, don't come back. And I said, what do you mean? Don't come back. He said, there's nothing we can do for your son. Don't come oh back. Gosh. Oh man. Now uh, up until, and, the, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, you know, when I, the lag here. <laughs> no, I, I didn't want to interject and interrupt your story. I was just wondering that at, had you suspected the vaccine to blame at that point and had he had any Absolutely. more vaccines? Okay. So, so you didn't take him back well, for any other childhood vaccines. Yeah, no, I did. So that's a good question. So I, I immediately thought it was the vaccine uh, because you know, what I say is that the son that we brought home from the doctor's office from the, his injection was not the same son that we took to the doctor's office. We had, a, we had a different child Yeah, yeah. and you see it like it's as a parent, you know, your child and you know, something is wrong. Yeah. And I immediately questioned it. And I was absolutely dismissed. Vaccines are safe and effective. It's not the vaccine. Don't blame the vaccine. Uh, and so I, I, I was pushed away from it uh, and made out to be silly for even thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you're not going to accept that as a parent. You know, if everything went away, I might have just carried on with life and forgotten about it, but that's not what happened. And so yeah. I was actually a graduate student at the University of British Columbia at the time. And so I had access to the medical library there as a graduate student. So I started doing research on the DPT vaccine. And what I found indicated that this particular product was causing all kinds of neurological injury in children. And what we now know in hindsight was in 1986, they introduced the legislation in the United States to grant vaccine manufacturers immunity from liability for injury and death caused by their products. Yeah. The reason they did that is because the vaccine manufacturers had so many lawsuits against them from the same vaccine that was given to my son that they told the U.S. government that if you don't give us legal immunity, we're going to go out of business because there's too many lawsuits. Wow. That's the child so that's when it was 1986. That's right. So that's when it was absolutely crystal clear to me that there was all kinds of evidence that that vaccine had harmed my son. Yeah. But the industry doesn't want to acknowledge, but, but what happens, I still didn't fully connect all the dots, Jamie. And so when he was about three or three and a half, he stepped on a rusty nail. And so, uh Oh, tetanus. tetanus. So I immediately took him to the doctor and I said, listen, he had a strong reaction to the DPT shot. I don't want the DPT shot. I only want tetanus. tetanus. Yeah. That's it. And they gave him an injection and 
when I looked at, I don't know whether the, at the vial or at the paperwork, I realized they had given him diphtheria and tetanus. And I was absolutely livid. I said, I expressly said to you, I'm only giving you permission for tetanus. And they basically blew me off and said, you know what? Forget it. Like this is, that's all you get. Oh my. And so there was no informed consent. And I, you know, I've, I've wanted to go back and look at Josh's medical records and see the timing of that second vaccine shot in alignment with when his seizures just really started to escalate and, and get to when they were 12 to 15 times a day. The timing is right. I just haven't, in some ways I, I didn't have the time before and part of me doesn't want to go back and dig through Josh's medical records. Yeah, right I can yeah. imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, at this point. So then you well, live. It, it hurts. So, it, I have to say, it hurts too much to do that. It brings up yeah. too many memories. Right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And Josh was your only child, right? Yeah, I I, uh, I have a stepdaughter from my first marriage, and then I have uh, three stepchildren from my second relationship. But Josh is my only biological child. Yes. Wow. Oh, Ted. Oh man, that's, that's so, heavy. So then it became a mission of yours to when, well, when yeah. you start working with vaccine choice Canada. You know, I, I don't even remember how I learned about vaccine choice Canada to tell you the truth. I, I started up my own group called parents of vaccine injured children. Okay. And I started, uh, you know, this is, <laughs> this is in mid to late eighties. And yeah. so this is pre computer. I'm typing things up on a, on a typewriter <laughs> and you know uh, using a gestetner to <laughs> making copies and you know uh, this was early photocopy machines and all that kind of stuff right yeah. and so and i was trying to share the information and then um at that time uh vaccine choice canada was called vaccine risk awareness network vra right. and was the was the, the the letters for it and it seemed to me that i uh, heard about them and um, decided to write an article or something for them. And so I, I began to do some writing for them based upon the research that I was doing. And eventually at some point they asked if I would join the board of directors of, of Vaccine Choice Canada. And, um, and then uh, a year ago or a year ago in December, a year and a half ago, I guess, Etta West, who had been the, one of the co-founders of the movement in Canada here, uh, um, wanted to step down as president. She had served for 35 years and, uh, wow. you know, this is, this is grueling work. And so I was asked if I would step up and become president, which I said yes to. So yeah. well, good on you, man. Cause yeah, it is grueling work. I can imagine. And it's like, you, you're, you're met head on with a whole bunch of nastiness too, all the time, I would imagine. Well, you know, it's a curious thing, you know, I, my profession is a psychotherapist. And so I, uh, you know, I've worked with people that are suffering from life. And one of the, one of my um, consulting roles is that I was involved with the wife abuse program. I actually, uh, I was the director of a counseling center before I met, moved into private practice. And one of the programs that I applied to government for to get funded was a wife abuse intervention program. Okay. And to work with that, my staff who every day they would get story after story of, of abuse, beaten up, assaulted, sometimes killed. I mean, those, I, I, my heart ached for those uh, 
women who were doing that kind of work because every day was was an ugly story. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because in the journey of being involved in Vaccine Choice Canada, that's the, you get those same kind of stories. Every yeah. day you get stories of children being injured, permanently injured or killed by vaccines. The difference is, is there was all kinds of compassion for those women and for those workers. Whereas in this movement, we are dismissed, denied, discounted, uh, made out to be anti-science, uh, irresponsible, dangerous quacks. Yeah. And so it's, it's, um, that's why I say it's grueling work because you're, you're witnessing the harms that is being done to humanity and to our children. Yes. Yeah. And yet you're dismissed and denied for your experience uh, in that work. I really feel Oof. like we're in a psychological and spiritual warfare right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. This is a war. Yeah. And, and, and to me, it's absolutely a psychological and spiritual war. And that's why most people don't recognize it. They don't recognize we're at war because it doesn't look like any war we've seen before. Right. And so, you know, if, if people showed up with tanks and bombs and guns, you know, we would recognize we're being invaded. Yeah. We, we've been invaded. We are occupied. We're an occupied country. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But the occupation is, is a psychological occupation that people don't recognize. And so people have their two masks on, they're sanitizing their hands 20 times a day or 50 times a day. They're absolutely terrified, but they believe they're free. Yes. And they, they, they don't, they've been so manipulated and so deceived. They don't recognize that they are hiding in their basements and they think they're doing that by their own choice. Yeah. yeah. They're not. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, it's and so it's tragic to have particularly our family and friends that we love and care about and we can't reach them because they've been captured. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I find it so interesting that you what you did as a profession or are you still doing that working? No, okay. I, I retired in 2017. Okay, well, and now you're probably busier than ever with everything that's yes. going on. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I was going to say is I, there, I've seen correlations that people have compared to what's happening with the government lockdowns and the government um, protocols, the mandates that they're putting on us is almost like an abusive relationship between a husband and a wife. And it's almost uncanny, the similar similarities that's happening. And so many women, um, from what I understand, I, ha- I ha- did, have not done the research into that like you have but they end up, they still are in love or in afraid anyways of their captor that they, they don't want to leave because they're too scared to leave. And I think in some sort of way, it becomes like they, as a defense mechanism, they, I don't know if they want to say they like it or they, they put up with it, but it's exactly what's happening right now. And as, in Canada, for sure, and parts of the states, mm-hmm. and globally, actually. Yeah, it's full-on Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. The, the similarities to wife abuse are are uncanny, and so the abuse that happens is, is there's psychological abuse, there's emotional abuse, there's isolation, there's shaming, there's demeaning, and there's all of these tools. There's actually called a uh, is part of the the when you're working with 
people that have been in that, those abusive relationships, there's a, two documents that we would use. One is called a relationship based upon power and control and a relationship based upon uh, on love. And we, you know, we, we would take these two sheets and, and hand them to women and saying, what kind of relationship are you in? And the, the, you look at the relationship based upon power and control and it, there's about 15 different qualities to it. And, and, and the problem is, is that you're so captured by that emotionally, psychologically, you're in fear, you've been dismissed, you're told that nobody's going to love you, that nobody's going to want you and all of these things that if you leave me, you know, I might kill you or all these things. And so it's too painful to see it and to rise up against it because you have been so weakened. Yeah, And you, you think you don't have a life outside of this and you don't think anybody will believe you. And, and so you stay in an abusive relationship. That was some of the most difficult work I did was being working with that women's group because on average, a woman leaves six times before she finally leaves her good. Oh. Right. Because you would keep getting pulled back in because yeah. Uh, either, you know, the man would say, you know, okay, I'm, I'm better, I'm better, I'm not going to do that any longer, or the threats, or because the consequences of leaving were so horrendous in terms of poverty, in terms yeah. of, um, you know, the courts, the fighting over the access to children, all those kinds of things, they just say, you know what, I'll sacrifice my life, I'll go back to, in order to um, stay in that structure because at least it's familiar, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to leave an abusive relationship. Incredibly hard. For sure. People are always like, why don't you just leave? But I know several women, you know, in my life, older women that have they're in relationships that they've been in for a long time that they should have left a long time ago. And they're miserable because they just don't know what else they would do. They don't know how they would support themselves. They don't know how they would get along in life. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Man, you you went from one situation like just from the battered wives and hearing all these horrible stories onto the vaccine injured, it's like, how do you remain happy? Mm. You know, it's a good question. And, you know, I have to say that it, it, um, have you read my book? Peace begins with me. I actually haven't read yeah, that I'll one. I'm going to, I'm going to get that one now. I like so the title. That though. was my, well, and it, it, it was my journey of saying, how do I make peace with this? Because, right. The truth was, I was, I was living, I was suffering greatly. Uh, yeah. You know, when my son was seizing every day, um, I have to admit that there were days I wished he would die because it was yeah. too hard. Oh, and, yeah. and then you would feel guilt about that thought. But there were some days it was just overwhelming. And, and you know, what I say is that it, it, it took all the joy out of me. It took all the you know, the good stuff of life. I, 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 I was seeing a therapist and, and uh, he asked me to do a journal. And so uh, I handed him my first journal entries and it was, you know, Josh seized at one o'clock and I would write about it. Josh seized at three o'clock, write about it. Josh seized at five o'clock. And basically the journal was all about seizures. And so the therapist quite astutely said, well, what happened between the seizures? And to me, there was, I, I couldn't see the space between the seizures because all I could see was the seizures. Right. Yeah. And so what I, I had to learn how this experience in my life at this point, I'm powerless to stop. Yeah. And so uh, how do I make peace with it? How do I live in the spaces between the seizures, so to speak? And so the book Peace Begins With Me is really the journey I went on 
And I'll tell you if I can take a few minutes and tell you how that happened. Yeah, please, please do. do. Please yeah. do. So it's one of the stories that I tell in, in Peace Begins With Me is um, Josh and I had this father-son ritual from the time he was a toddler. And so we lived in a house that was an old house. It had a driveway alongside of the house and a carport at the back of the property. And so I would drive up the driveway when I came home from work and park in the carport and come in the back door. And when Josh was a toddler, when I drove up the driveway, he would hear the sound of my car and he would know that dad was home and he would run to the window that was looking out onto the carport and wait for me to come out of the car. And when he saw me, he would yell, hi, dad. And I would say, hi, Josh. And I would come into the house. But as he got sicker and sicker and as the seizures increased in frequency, the number of times he was at the window got fewer and fewer. Yeah. And so every day that I drove up that driveway, when I came home from work, my, I, my heart would just be pounding and this angst would be there. And the question was always, will Josh be at the window today or will the window be empty? And what that was code for is how was his day today? Did he have a good day today or was it a day filled with seizures? And when I saw him in the window, I mean, my heart would just open. And when the window was empty, I, you know, I, it's like I had to catch my breath because I knew sometimes when I come, would come in the door, my bags would already be packed. My wife would be waiting for me. So we'd go to, you know, go to the hospital or she would say the ambulance is on the way or. Oh, man. So it was always uh, I was in that turmoil every day. You're like fight or flight almost. And on this. What's that? It was almost like a fight or flight constantly. Yes. Yeah. So on this particular day I drove up the driveway and I parked my car and I looked to the window and I can still see Josh's face in my mind's eye he was there at the window he was so happy to see me his little nose was flat against the glass he yelled hi dad and I said hi Josh but I did something different that day I just stood there and I just wanted to soak in his welcome and so I, I just looked at him through this window and I don't even know for how long but I just wanted to soak in his greeting and while I stood there looking at him, something happened that I don't know how to explain. I can just tell you what happened. I heard a voice and the voice was if it was spoken out loud, it was so loud. Oh. And what I heard was a question. And the question was, when your son looks through the glass at you, what does he see? Ooh. Oh. So I had to think about that. What does he see? And the answer that immediately came into my mind was he sees a father who's angry. He sees a father who's afraid. He sees a father who's in resentment. He sees a father who's in despair. Oh, man. And when I had that realization, I said, Josh deserves better than this. And so I said to him, as I'm looking at him, Josh, I'm going to learn how to make peace with this. And I'm going to learn how to fall in love with the son that I have, not the son that I don't have. Oh, my God. And so I began a very deliberate journey of making peace with my medically fragile, seizing child. And it wasn't easy. I can imagine that. I can imagine. But I came to the realization that I'm not serving anybody by being angry. I'm not serving anybody by being afraid. I'm not serving anybody by being in despair. And so I literally had to make peace. 
and with my son's condition and with the fact that he might die any day in my arms. Yeah. And I can remember uh, not long after that when we were in Vancouver Children's Hospital and he had been seizing four days straight, nonstop. And I said, Josh, if you need to go, go. Oh, Ted, my goodness. And so that journey is what moved me to become to a place of acceptance. That doesn't mean I gave up. It means I had to accept the things I couldn't control and I couldn't control his medical condition. One of the, and I, I look for wisdom in all kinds of places. And one of the places of wisdom is bon, uh, Byron Katie. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Byron Katie. Yeah, I've, I don't know. I'm familiar with the name for sure. And, and she's got some very profound wisdom. And she said, there are only three kinds of business, your business, my business, and God's business. And the question you need to ask when you're in a difficult situation is whose business are you in? Oh. And she said that Josh's seizing is, is his business and God's business. Your business is how you manage that experience in your life. And so I had to learn to take care of my business. That's that's something all that's parents. That's profound, man. That's really solid advice. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many things as a parent, regardless if we have a vaccine injured child or not, that we don't have control over, especially as our children get to be teenagers and young adults. Yeah. And it's so hard to let go of that control because all you want to do is just help them succeed. And yeah. Oh man, thank you for opening up like that, Ted. I don't know if you planned on getting this personal, but uh, wow, that's that's you, you're an amazing man. Yeah, amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I, I don't know if I'm amazing. I, 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 you know, the well, you, I had to learn are. this, yes. and you know what I came to accept is um, I believe Josh came to be of service to humanity. That uh, I've been changed by the experience with him, and. Um, I have a responsibility now to to take what I've learned in that journey and share with others. And so the, the, the gift of this is that I believe that I'm living a very purposeful life, that yes. I get to be of service in a way that I'm sure I wouldn't have without, without this struggle. And it also, you know, my, my work as a psychotherapist has also gave me respect for suffering because what I, you know, what I often say is that Nobody ever came to my office and said, Ted, you know, my life is really good, but I want it to be better. They come yeah. because they're suffering. Yeah. And so what I would, what I would, used to say to my clients is the suffering is the gateway to wisdom. <laughs> and so let's, let's take advantage of this opportunity here. What, what can we learn? What's the gift in this experience for you? And usually when I first asked them that question, they were just like, you know, are you a crazy man? Like, you know, there's no gift in this. Right. But it's one of those questions that once you hear it, you can't forget it. Yeah. And so people invariably would come back to me a week later, a month later, and they would say, when you first asked me that question, I thought you were crazy. But as I think about it, I realize I have, there are many gifts in this struggle. And they would tell me what they've learned. It might be compassion. It might be wisdom. It might be the strength to be able to say no to an abusive relationship. Whatever it is there, they began to recognize there's gifts. And so I take that same perspective to what's happening 
to humanity today. And I hold the belief that this suffering that's happening globally presents a unique opportunity, a powerful opportunity of some kind of uh, wisdom to be acquired by humanity. And so I know that when you're in the thick of the suffering, it's hard to think that there's some value to it. Mm -hmm. But I believe that we're going through some kind of an initiation. And the initiation is what's needed uh, to take us to a higher level of consciousness. I think so, too. I think so, too. And a lot of our podcasts are about healing and self-healing and um, how to overcome different sorts of suffering. And I feel like on a mass scale right now, what's happening is we're being, we're being asked to rise up, to level up, to, to heal from our suffering that we've had in the past, heal our inner child, heal our family units, heal, but we can't heal our family units until individually you as parents, especially the parents are healed. Yeah. And I think that is the, the, our source, God, whatever you want to call it, the universe, whatever it is that works for you is literally shaking us to wake up right now and to acknowledge our suffering and to move forward and to heal from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I need to accept that a lot of people aren't going to wake up. I've been trying to wake as many people up as possible, but it's like beating your head against the wall with some people, they get mad at you and it's like, okay, well, I guess, I guess there's going to be a lot less of us once this is all, you know, once the smoke clears. And Jamie, I'm there with you. And I have to allow them to have their own journey, their own journey. Yeah. So it's like, I, I, I know that I have a responsibility to bring information forward, but then yeah. I go back to the three kinds of business from Byron Katie, whose business am I in? And so I tried to be an example of what I think consciousness looks like of what freedom looks like of, of bodily sovereignty looks like, uh, you know, honoring the right to inform consent, all those things, but I have to allow people to, to have their suffering. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and I, Britt, I would agree with you. I think what we're being asked to do is to stand up. Yeah. And we can't we can't do it for somebody else. They no. they have to do it themselves. Yeah. And the the every initiation when you when you think about the kind of initiations that happen and you know I think we were we 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 were better at, at recognizing the, uh, stages of life and and you know some kind of initiation to move to the next stage. We've kind of lost that. Yeah. I, I think uh, native traditions you know, understood that uh, other spiritual traditions have a much better understanding of that process. Mm-hmm. We kind of just coast thinking that that's how we develop strength. And we don't, we, we have to bang into something, some adversity. We have to find our strength to overcome the adversity so that we're, uh, we're stronger. And I think collectively humanity is facing uh, some kind of an initiation. Yeah. And my hope is, is that it's an initiation to some kind of an ascension to some kind of transformation. And because I can't see the plan, uh, I have to operate uh, based upon faith. Yeah. 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 You know what? You hit the nail on the head there with that. It's like, we have to go through the adversity. Like for myself on my journey, I've, I've had, crazy gut issues. And and that's what kind of woke me up was the Western medicine just kept failing me and failing me and failing me until I started going to holistic, you know, like after it all didn't work, I had to go through serious, you know, 
hell for lack of a better word to wake up yeah 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 you can tell somebody something a million times but until you experience it like like messing up like uh failure is is the best way to learn is by screwing something up you know you can tell somebody something a million times but when they actually screw it up themselves then then they'll get it well and i say metaphorically it's like you can't you can't develop muscles if you don't lift weight yeah and it doesn't help for somebody else to lift the weights for you. You have to, you have to lift the weights. That's a good analogy. So, I like that. You know, what I'm seeing is people are, um, I, I've said is I, I, in my counseling practice, one of the things that I would do is we know that trauma arrests people's emotional development. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's something that we know in, our, in the industry, right? In the profession. Yeah. And, and so as part of my work with people very early on, I would try to assess at what emotional level they were functioning at. Were they functioning as, a, as an adult? Were they functioning as a teenager? Were they functioning as a child? Where, where were they? And I would, I would try to, in my own way, uh, come up with uh, an age. And so I would you know, work with somebody and say, you know what, this person seems like they're acting like a kind of a testy 17-year-old, even yeah. though they're 50. Yeah, <laughs> and, and or a fourteen-year-old, or you know, they're even acting younger than that, and so that often gave me some clue about uh, what might have happened to that person. So I would say, you know, if I thought the person was functioning as a seventeen-year-old, as I I would ask them then, tell me what happened when you were about seventeen. Did you experience any traumatic event in your life? And sometimes just asking the question, they would just start to weep because oh, yeah. you had you had acknowledged this wound they've been carrying that they've often kept hidden that they might not even acknowledge that that was an issue right and i like how you said that arrested development their development stopped at at that time and you could kind of see okay it was you're around 17 you're acting like a 17 year old so the trauma kind of happened around then yeah right and so i look at humanity you know globally and i know that it's uh you know uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, I'm, I, I'm saying everybody's in the same place and we're obviously not, but like, I would say collectively we're, we're still operating as children. Yeah. Right. I would say we're operating under the emotional age of about age 12. Yeah. Age 12. Where we're still, you know, trying to be good children. We're, we're being obedient. We, you know, what do I have to do to get mom or dad's praise? Uh, I want to get A's on my paper at school. And so you know, in adolescence is where you start to create some separation between the parent and the child or authority, and you start to claim some of your own individual authority. And, and if you're moved through that successfully, you develop strength and personal autonomy. Yeah. But if you get crushed at that stage, you often then become compliant again. Right. And so I think that humanity in general has not moved through that stage successfully. Right. They are particularly Canadians. They're far too obedient and they're far too compliant. They haven't stood in their authority. They've acted as if government has authority over them. Yeah. yeah. And they don't. The only authority government has is what we delegate to them. We actually have the power and we say, we want you to, we're going to give you this authority so that it will assist us in our, in our governance of, of, of this country or of our community. But we, we've forgotten that we actually delegate the authority and we've come to believe that they have the power and we don't and we have to follow them. We don't. Completely, yeah. completely agree with that. Yeah. I, something I say is um, the powers that be, whatever you want to call them, they want us numb, dumb, and addicted because 
it's easy to control us then. And That's I think right. what, what we're seeing right now, we're seeing the people who are, are awake to that and are, are taking their power back. Like, trust me, I am a recovering people pleaser. Like I, I want, I wanted, I still fight with this. I want everybody to like me. I don't want to be the girl that, that ruffles feathers. I, I was just like, okay, I'll do whatever you want to, to, to make them happy. That was who, that's how I grew up. I grew up in a Christian, went to a Christian school and I, I didn't want to be the rebel. And now (laughs) like what we're doing, it's, it's like our, our podcast is called sacred resistance and we are rebels to to what society is. And that was so hard for me to step into and why I do that on a daily basis is because we have children and I'm fighting for their future. And it also was definitely a healing process for me to let go of that and to be okay with not being liked by everybody and not being the girl that just said yes to everything, just to, to people please. But this there, I, I couldn't sit with myself just taking it anymore, especially once COVID happened. Like when COVID happened, we knew something was up because we had been, um, our eyes had been awakened for a while, but I tell you, it's, it, it's still a daily struggle for me to not want to please people to go into a store and to not wear a mask. And it's like, because they think I'm selfish, which is like, no, I'm not wearing this mask because I'm fighting for my freedom and your freedom. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I try to get across to people too. They get mad at me for not wearing a mask. It's like, I'm doing this for you too. You know, if all of us yeah. just allowed this to happen and wore masks and just did what we were told, we'd be totally screwed. I'm fighting this fight for you too. Whether you want to see it or not, you're going to thank me one day. And if you don't fine, but I'm fighting for all of us. Yeah. 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 You're right. They don't understand it. And, you know, one of the things that I, I said that I attended a service today in Kelowna, it's an outdoor service because churches are closed. So it's pushed the service outside into the park, which I think is fabulous. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Uh, but the minister said, you know, if you look at the people now that we honor, people like Gandhi or Martin Luther King, who were instrumental in uh, claiming rights and freedoms, you know, for the blacks in the case of Martin Luther King, for the the people of India in yeah. getting their freedom from from the British Empire, at the time that they began their their civil disobedience, they were uh, outliers. They were illegal. They were against the law. They were bad people, and the yeah. media made them out to be bad. Uh, and he was talking about how the churches made them out to be bad. Martin Luther King didn't have support from his fellow. Uh, pastors and other congregations, they actually attacked him for his work. And he said, I need need to remind you that the people that we now honor, I mean, Martin Luther King has a day named after him. We celebrate the man. Why? Because we now recognize what he did. And he said, you are the people that are right now you're being told you're bad. Yeah. But trust me, at some point, Jamie, you're going to, people will thank you for, for being who you are. Right. Yeah. Even, right now. Even Jesus. Now. Yeah. Yes. Jesus, I think would have been standing there fighting with us at the freedom rallies. And for sure. he, he went to places that were taboo. He was ridiculed for what would be considered our mainstream media by, you know, like he, he would have been 
on this side of history with us right now. And I think he Without is like, I, I believe that, that this is, there's a, there's definitely we're, a we're, we're, we're honoring a higher law. You yes. know, the mask law is down here and yeah. freedom and, you know, honoring the sacredness of this body yeah. and our bodily autonomy and, uh, you know, and our ability to, to honor our creator, however we do that. To me, those, yeah. those are our laws. People yeah. have lost a sense of priority of law. They think that all laws have the same merit or the same uh, essence to them. And they don't. Yeah, no. completely. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. I don't follow man's laws. I follow God's laws. Be a good person. Yeah. Live your life. You know, don't don't interfere with anyone else's pursuit of happiness. That's like that should be rule number one. Other than that, you know, carry on and, and don't hurt anybody. Be a good person. Those are the laws you should follow. Not uh, don't jaywalk. Don't you know? Man's laws are they're not. And, not in my books. And I know that if you know if, if there was solid, verifiable evidence that putting on a mask served humanity we would all do that exactly exactly but it but it doesn't serve humanity it actually enslaves us you know what's very clear to me the mask is not a medical device there is no uh randomized controlled trial studies with verified outcomes that show uh, an effective masking in preventing a viral infection zero none doesn't exist totally yeah it's a psychological tool and it's a tool of enslavement. And the slave owners knew that. The, the, the mil- U.S. military in Guantanamo Bay masks the people in Guantanamo Bay. Why? Because it's a way of enslaving them, of breaking their spirits. So, and they've been doing that for 20 years. So this is not a new thing. This is, they understand perfectly that the mask is a tool of enslavement. And we see it. We yeah. see it. The people... The people that are ma- walking around with masks on, for the most part, are not thinking. They're not no, thinking they're not. to themselves. They're yeah. not, exactly. And our poor children, like I just, it's it's just a psychological mess. You know, it, it, that's the bizarreness of all this is, is uh, a year and a half ago, if a parent forced their child to wear a mask, that would be child abuse. Totally, yes. yeah. Yes. And, and now what we're seeing is... You know, everything's become inverted. We're living in an inverted world. Absolutely. Up yeah. is down and down is up. And, you know, it's like 1984s, you know, freedom is slavery. And, you know, yeah. that, yeah. how every everything is the opposite of Orwellian. Liberty. That's we're, we're living that. We're living yeah. that. Yeah, we really yeah. are. Yeah, totally. So do you think with the uh, this recent lifting of the mask mandate down in the States, the CDC is now saying that uh, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask anymore. I think we all, you know, have have seen the writing on the wall up until this point, we know that they're, you know, playing two steps ahead, five steps ahead. I think that this is just the calm before the actual storm. You know, they're going to, they're going to ramp up the, uh, the propaganda pretty fast here. Once all of a sudden there's a new variant coming out and all it's the non, it's the non-vaccinated people that caused this next surge. And now you all need to mask up and now we're going to need the vaccine passports because we can't tell who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been vaccinated. All of a sudden, everybody's not wearing a mask now. So this is just another little trick they're playing on us. Well, Jamie, let me tell you what I think is happening there is that they they recognize that more and more people are starting to refuse to wear the mask. Yeah. Yeah. And so rather than acknowledge people and saying, okay, these, these people have got it figured out, 
um, what they're doing is saying, you know, if you've been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. So it, 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 it makes it look like, first of all, that the vaccine is working. It gives something very tangible, why somebody would want to get the vaccine. And it's, it's a way of recognizing that, you know, we're losing that battle around the masking. And so we, we make it look like we're, we're giving them that option not to mask now, mm -hmm. as opposed to the fact that people are claiming their authority. So I, I just think it's, they're, they're very clever in terms of their psychological warfare. Yeah. You know, they, they didn't want, the reason they didn't want states to open up before they had gotten enough people vaccinated, because they said, well, if states open up, we don't have any way of coercing people to, to get the, the jab. So yeah. yeah, yeah. You're already hearing people though fighting like, well, how I've been vaccinated and I'm not, I don't have to wear a mask. How am I supposed to tell, you know, how, now this guy's not wearing a mask. How am I supposed to tell each other apart? And then it's well then, cause these vaccine passports that they are giving out are so like easily duplicated. It's just like a black and white right. piece of paper. It's like, now they're going to come out with a, with an actual one. That's like hard to hard to fake. Well, the agenda is, first of all, the agenda was never about the vaccine as the end goal, right? No. right the vaccine no. is, is a, a step along the path of totalitarianism. And, exactly. yeah. Papers, and the next step of that is, is the digital passport system. And they're going to sell it as saying that's how we know who's safe and who's not safe. Yeah. But, you know, we all we all know that that's the, the, the method of capture. Once you've got that system implemented, now they, they can control your access to anything. They control exactly. it to, to a social, store, to your credit. bank account, to your vehicle, to being outside of your home. I mean, we have given them um, the tools to uh, to absolutely control every aspect of our life. Yeah. yeah. And. Yeah. 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 And, and living in Kelowna, do you, uh, you have any land? Do you have a nice big garden or anything like that? No. no. Yeah. That's, You've got a lot of support from people that do though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, half of the arable land in British Columbia is in Kelowna or in the Okanagan, right? Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So we have access to all kinds of freshly grown fruits and vegetables yeah so absolutely. we're probably better off than most people in, in the world that way yeah that, in, in terms of access to that um, yeah absolutely okanagan apples are the best <laughs> yeah peaches cherries yeah yeah exactly yeah. So Ted, I we I don't want to take too much more of your time. This has just been. I, I'll I, take as much time as you want. So oh, you're you, great, man. You're great. I you you're just in my mind. You're absolutely amazing. And I've said this in past podcasts with the guests that we've had on. Like, I have lost all interest with um, any celebrity. Like people, like ten years ago, five years ago, even someone could be like, who who would you? love to meet or go out to lunch with and who like you know the list could have been like yeah name name a celebrity ellen degeneres or da 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 like whatever it is and now it's it's you guys it's people that are fighting this fight for us and i'm just so thankful for you and what you're doing and i my my heart is so full after these conversations because i i feel like we're all together in this and i'm just so so incredibly grateful for you but um yeah, yeah what i wanted to say before we end is um, what's something that you recommend for people to do right now, like in the current state of the world? Um, I think the first thing I'd say is don't be afraid. Yeah, that okay. is a I big one. That. Yeah, that's the biggest one. You know, fear is the mechanism of control. 
Yeah. Um, and so you want to you want to be vigilant about not being pulled into fear, uh, and it doesn't matter how it looks. Fear fear is fear. So, you know, there are many of us that are awake that know not to pay any attention to mainstream media. I mean, yeah. th those are. Uh, fear porn, in my yeah. view, right? Absolutely. That, that, that's their only purpose is to keep people afraid. But we're, you know, we're, for example, in the last couple of weeks, with all of this angst that's out now about whether, you know, these are self-spreading uh, vaccines, whether they're shedding happening from people that have been vaccinated. I mean, that ha has caused the unvaccinated, uh, consciously unvaccinated, now to to have some some fear about whether yes. they're at risk or not. And so Dr. Stephen Maltos and I have actually had a number of conversations about this because one is just trying to understand the science, the data, and trying to understand the mechanism of transmission. You know, what do we think is being transmitted? And the spike and protein. There's, yeah. And so there's lots we still don't understand about what's happened. We recognize something is happening. Yeah. But Stephen said to me the other day, he said, you know what? I What I'm now saying to people that ask me is do everything that you would do to boost your immune system. So vitamin D, vitamin C, uh, you know, zinc, uh, you know, quercetin, uh, you know, those kinds of things to and do not be afraid. Yes. If yeah. we start being afraid of that now in some ways they, they've just cleverly found switch. a way to capture us yeah yes. exactly they, they they flipped it on us now like i i went through a little bit of that once all this shedding info just came out recently about women in their menstrual cycle and uh yeah. Yeah. women who have yeah. uh, gone through menopause are now all of a sudden getting two periods a month and it's like that freaked yeah. me out a little bit right off the bat like absolutely i was all of a sudden yeah. avoiding vaccinated people like the plague and then i kind of had an, a moment of awakening it's like just don't be afraid to keep taking your vitamins, keep exercising, keep doing your thing and just don't worry because like, what else can you do now? All of a sudden they got people like us who know better hiding inside our houses. Yeah. Like that's, that's just exactly what, well, you know, I have to say that, uh, the cabal that's behind all this are very sophisticated, right? Yes. Very yeah. you know, and if we think this is just an accident or that it's just coincidence or it's just been recently, uh, unveiled it's not this has been a capture of humanity i actually think humanity has always been struggling with being enslaved and every yeah. once in a while we kind of find uh, you know a period where we push back enough and, and get a an experience of more freedom but there this force of enslavement has been there from the very beginning in my yes. view yeah so this is this is nothing new i think what happened is that we we naively and i'll own that too is thought that you know fascism was defeated in world war ii we're good yeah. now yeah uh, we're, we're living in a free country we didn't recognize that that freedom you know somebody said today it's the that you know beautiful phrase freedom is not free you have to be vigilant you have to honor it you have to serve it every single day yeah. and we haven't i would say that my generation the previous generation um, since the war has not done their work of protecting freedom we have allowed it to be encroached um, over and over and over again until, you know, it's that totalitarian tiptoe. And so we're now backed up at the edge of a cliff and we have to stand firm and begin to push back. So this experience, this dynamic of, of capture and control has always been there, but we, it's time that we claim our authority. And I, and again, I hold 
the belief that there is something purposeful in this for humanity. Yes. This is, yes. I think there's a, a, a battle, as you said, uh, it's a spiritual battle and it's happening on a grand scale. This yes. is not just isolated conflicts. It's not just, you know, in World War II, it was isolated countries around the world. Now it's, it, it's pervasive across the whole planet. So there's yes. something spectacular happening now. And, yeah. you know, what I believe is that we can tell two stories, you know, uh, in my book, Peace Begins With Me, I, I tell the story of two wolves. I don't know if you know that story, but let me, maybe I'll just quickly share yes. it because yeah, I please. think it has value here. And it's not my story. It's a story that I read that I just loved it. And I actually used that as the, how I began my book. And I said, it, there's a grandfather, a native grandfather walking with his grandson and the two are walking in silence. And after a period of silence, the grandfather says to the grandson grandson there are two wolves that are fighting in my heart and one wolf is angry and vindictive and wants to hurt others and the other wolf is kind and loving and compassionate and the grandson after hearing that those words of his grandfather is filled with fear and he says grandfather which wolf will win the battle of your heart and the grandfather says the wolf that will win the battle of my heart is the wolf that I feed. Yeah. Yeah. And so to me, there's a, there's a negative wolf story that we can feed that story. Yeah, and then that wolf will so... become fat. And there's another story that we say, you know what? There's something important happening now. I'm going to rise up. I'm going to claim my authority. I'm going to claim all of my wisdom. I'm going to claim all of my love and my compassion. And I'm going to stand in that place. Yes. And to me, that gives, uh, that has us walk in this experience in a very different way than if we tell the other story. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that is beautifully said yeah. and i know there's times when i'm not feeding the right wolf and i've got to check myself mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. this this war that we're in and it's all because of our children i was like i i start worrying about their future but then it's like no i gotta feed the the wolf of love yeah and it's a legitimate worry i mean concern is a better word uh but yeah you know you're right. We are backed up against the cliff and it sucks. Like I, I, I have to go back to everyone's on their own journey. Right. But it sucks being backed up against the cliff and watching people you love, family members willfully just marching off the cliff. It's yeah, tough. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. And again, the story that I tell is that I think part of what will wake up humanity is that they will, the amount of suffering and the amount of harm from these injections will become self-evident. And so I actually honor those people that have taken the injection because they may be of service to the awakening of humanity by sacrificing their, their health. Right. Yeah. 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 Which we have all done that in the past to a different degree. To a different degree. Do you know what on I mean? Scale, like yeah. before we woke up to the, how toxic our food is and our everything we were eating Tim Hortons and we yeah. were doing certain things. And once you got sick, like Jamie got quite sick. That's, that was the awakening for us to like change the way we ate and change everything. You know, what we, what to, toxic chemicals do yeah. I bring in the house? Zero now. Yeah. And right. like it, it, it woke, woke us, us up, up to everything. everything, heavy metal toxicity, even cleaning products. Like we don't like, we're so 
Yeah. Pretty back much to nature. cleansed now. Yeah, exactly. Back to nature. Yeah. Yeah. But it took that suffering. It took exactly. that illness. Yeah. And, and you, to me, it, at that point, you had a choice to just say more of the same or yeah. you know what, I'm going to stop, step back. I'm going to, I'm going to take responsibility for my health in a way Absolutely. that I haven't done before. Mm-hmm. I'm going to educate myself. And, and I'm going to make some significant lifestyle changes, yeah. which is congratulations. That's what you've done. Yeah. yeah thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. 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 Well, it's nothing compared to what you've done, my friend. You're, uh, <laughs> you're an inspiration. And uh, whether you want to think so or not, I mean, you, you, you're definitely you, humble. <laughs> yeah. You're a humble guy. You, you, you've been taking one. I want to say take one for the team, but for your whole career, it's been like you could easily fall into the depression Whole, you know but again that's taking responsibility for our actions because anybody can be depressed i say this all the time everybody's had trauma every single person whether they've had a good upbringing or not some everybody's had trauma in some form mm-hmm. it's all how we move through it and get out of victimhood and i think a lot of people just they don't want to take responsibility and ownership of the way they feel the way they think the way they're spiritually connected or not. They just want to be told what to do and are still enslaved. And that's one of the things I say to my kids, like our kids, our little guys are only five and seven. You met them. But mm-hmm. when something happens, I'm already at this age. I'm, I'm trying to get the message across. It's like, no, we can't point our fingers at your brother, at, e- at their brother, at each other, or at, at me or dad for something that happened. And as gentle as I can for their mm-hmm. age to understand it. But it's like, the, and I tell them, the biggest thing we can do is take ownership of our everything. Yeah. And whether or not they're getting it now, that it doesn't matter. But hopefully as they age and get to their teen years, then they won't have to play that victim card. And yeah. 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 And a lot of people do. I mean, not, not to offend anyone or fat shame or anything like that, but there's a lady in town here that she's so morbidly obese. She's in a wheelchair and she's wearing her mask, yelling at people, not wearing a mask. It's like, and she's blaming them for putting her health at risk. It's like, really? Like, just take two seconds to think about that. You're blaming other people for putting your health at risk, yet you're so unhealthy, you can't even walk. Yeah. 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 So again, I look at that or hear that story and I say, what age, how old is that woman acting? Yeah. 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 And she's acting as a child. And so she hasn't learned how to say, you know what? My health is my responsibility. She's acting as if somebody else is responsible for her health. And the fact is the government has, that's one of the messages they've delivered, right? Yeah. And, and so they, they are delivering messages that actually undermine our, our maturing. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Totally. So they want to keep us enslaved. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Ted, where can people find your books? Like I know you, do you have your own website? Um, I have a website for Dare to Question. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's called daretoquestionvaccination.com. Okay. Uh, and you can actually download the book for free um, from that website. And there's also um, about 40 videos that it's one long video, but it's broken up into, into about uh, 42 to three minute videos where okay. it's somebody interviewing me talking about the various topics that I cover in my book. So you can find that on dare to question, dare to question vaccination.com. There's also 
uh, you can order the book from that site. But the the, the books are um, uh, I, they're through it's it's printing on demand. I don't know if you w w know what that is, but yes. it's like the book yeah. doesn't actually exist, right? It's it's an electronic book that when when you put in an order, uh, it's actually through Amazon. It's the uh, it was called Create Space uh, many years ago when I wrote the book, and and Amazon now controls it, unfortunately. But the what it means is if you put in a, an order for one book, they they print one book. If you put an order in for ten books, they print ten books. Right? There's okay. there's no stockpile of books. Um, so, but that is where you you can order them uh, through Amazon or through my website. It, and I have uh, the only control I have is that I get to indicate with the minimum um, amount is that I will receive for uh, the book as the author. And I think I said one cent. So oh, wow. uh, Amazon sets the price. Uh, and so th there is no benefit to me, uh, whether it's from my website or Amazon. This is not about any financial return for me. So again, your humbleness is shining through, man. It's a beautiful thing. Mm. And then how about the other book? The, um, Peace Begins or With Me is also through Amazon. And, okay. and uh, another book that I've written that you may not be aware of is called How Can I Wake Up When I Don't Know I'm Asleep? Hmm. Um, and that that book I actually wrote over a seven-year period. Um, I didn't know what was going to be in the book. I just knew the title. I had the title in my head for months and months. And I said, okay, okay, I'll write the book. And <laughs> I ended up doing um, a monthly uh, blog for seven years. Uh, and what I did for that book is I just took the, what I thought were the best um, blogs that I wrote over that yeah. seven year period and compiled them into a print copy. Oh, okay, nice. I love that. And then if people wanna find you, I know you're not on Instagram or anything, you're on Facebook, but you're probably at your max for friends on there. <laughs> You know what I and and uh, I end up mostly using Facebook just to share when I see something that I think is is important that needs to be yes. shared. I'll, I will share it, but I I spend zero time on it. I, I I actually don't respond to anything. I don't have time to. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, people are thinking they're accessing me through that. I. They're not. I just don't have <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I I don't know if I said you. I I just don't have enough hours in the day and and enough yeah. energy that I have. I think today, if I look, I have over 22,000 unread emails. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. And that's spending, you know, I, you know, I'm at this 10, 12 hours a day. And yeah. I yeah. just can't keep up. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm oh. like you, man. I'm not on social media at all. Never have been, never will be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ted, I'm going to um, put all the information about your books and where to get it into our show notes. Um, and I just want to thank you again for being here with us today. I, I wish I could give you a big hug right now, mm -hmm. but you, you, you are, I don't have a better word than amazing, but you, you amaze me. I'm in awe of you. And I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here. And I hope we can see you again at, at, some event maybe at mm -hmm. and maybe we'll come to Kelowna for the rally that is on yeah. Canada Day. That would be great. Uh well yeah. I remember getting a very big hug from you in Kamloops. So yeah. Uh, when like when is the, the mega rally in Kelowna? I think it's Canada the, Day. There there is a Canada Day event and they're okay. gonna be all day long uh from morning till night. Uh, music uh 
there's a rave happening after seven o'clock or something. There's a church service in the morning that is the pastor that has the open air service. Uh, I'm speaking. So a number of people will be speaking at that, but it's meant to become, you know, we're going to, we're going to hang out at the park. We're going to picnic. We're going to swim. We're going to have music. We're going to have some cool. speeches. I think we should get our trailer and go camping for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> we should make a point of coming out to Kelowna for that weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a travel trailer. We'll we'll make that happen. It'd be cool. And I want to just honor the two of you. What you're doing is so important. You're you're creating a uh, an opportunity for messages to get out to those that have ears to hear and and want want to lift themselves up. And so your your work is is of service to humanity. And so I honor you for stepping into that. Well, thank you thank very you, much. Ted. Appreciate that. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. That's awesome. Our kids are now coming out. That's all, always our signal to yeah. be like, okay, mom and dad, we need you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks again, Ted. This is fantastic. My blessings. Thank you yeah, both. Yeah. Blessings yeah. to you too. You bet. Can't wait to see you again, my friend. Yeah. I look forward to it. Yeah. Have a good Great. rest of your day. Thank you both. Yeah. Thanks, thank Ted. You. Lots of love. Bye. Bye-bye. Love to you.